Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today, they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute. John Adams. And Chris Kendall. Welcome to The Afternoon Commute with Chris Kendall and John Adams. Today is May 3rd, 2017. If you'd like to hear previous episodes of The Afternoon Commute, go to hoaxbusterscall.com and you'll see those posted up there alongside the most recent episode of Chris's Monday Night Broadcast, the original Hoaxbusters Call. Also posted up there are various articles. Some of those are original in nature, so make sure you check those out. Uh, videos as well. Uh, for any and all things Hoaxbusters, go to hoaxbusterscall.com today. Chris, my good friend, how are you, sir? Uh, long time no talk. I'm doing well, friend, and uh, I'm just enjoying uh, the weather here and uh, get taking taking care of business as uh, the, the what I was going to say, King of Pop, but that's uh, that's uh, Michael Jackson. Did, did he take care of business? I don't know. He's not now, but uh, or maybe he is. He, I don't he, know. Hey, to some, to some people, Randy Bachman is the king of pop. Right, yeah, that's who I was talking about, Randy Bachman. From Bachman Turner Overdrive and the Guess Who. He was in the Guess Who as well. Who? Um, the, the Guess Who. The Guess Who. Not the Who, the Guess Who. I have no idea. I'm just kidding. Which I, actually, I like the Guess Who better than the Who. I'm a, I'm a Guess Who fan. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, why are we here? Oh yes, we're talking. Right. So, yeah. So you've been uh, you've been good as of late. I have, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's keeping myself occupied and <clears throat> posting up some uh, calls. Have you heard them all? Have you listened to them all? I have, and I okay. uh, of course I I always congratulate you, and uh, you do a really good. You do a really good uh, job and service in that particular area of calling people up, and uh, it's not giving people a hard time. It's just funny how like normal questions mm-hmm. are could be just normal questions are basically giving a hard people a hard time now. Yeah, I would think that would they were. Oh, I regard them as very fair questions and not any in any way accusatory or mean or. Just say, oh, what about this? And then uh, the aggravation starts for some reason. I don't. Uh, well, I kind <laughs> of got an idea why, but you know, it's not. Is it supposed to be that way? We live in a, a participatory. I always like to say words I can't pronounce, but participatory <laughs> democracy. Participatory democracy. Right, right. I yeah. think we are. We're all. Yeah, that's what they always always constantly 
and that's and that's the thing too. So you're you're continually, generally through one way mediums, you're continu- continually preached at, relentlessly. So then you know, okay, oh, well, is that so? Well, look, I have some questions about this. Who do I call? And then you end up calling some unfortunate, uh, random bureaucrat or uh, individual working in some industry. And then it's like, it, it, it's almost to the, the, the commonly you'll hear is like uh, the, the kind of an attitude like, well, why, you know, why are you asking me questions? But they're representatives of these ideas or whatever that's being pushed, you know what I mean? So it's kind of odd in that respect that, yeah, you're, you're supposed to live in an open... Uh, transparent uh, society, but then you, you, where is the, where do you go for questions on the dogma that you're being force-fed on a regular basis? Right. Of course, it's purposely designed that way that um, no, no matter what it is you get into, um, and of course, uh, I could say that Chris and I do believe in a grand conspiracy of things. The yeah. The interesting part about it is, though, is 99% of the people are not in on it. That's correct. It's like, uh, and then, you know, what, who, because the question comes up, is like, oh, who was this day that you're always referring to? And, um, well, you often hear the refrain that, you know, we do this or we do that or we go to the moon or we went to Vietnam or we went to Iraq. And it's like, wait a minute, I didn't go to Iraq. I didn't even have anything to do with any kind of decision-making process, and it, it resulted in American troops going over there or anything. Was, oh, by way of our vote. Well, it's like I didn't vote. You know, so what is the we component? What is the we component? Well, at, at some point, there was a decision made to do those things, you know, to engage in that particular activity and to put a lot of... Uh, you know, funding and everything behind it. And I don't, maybe you do, but do do you recall, uh, putting in your voice on that? And did you write a letter to your congressman to say, Hey, you know, I really don't like, uh, them Iraqis. I think, I think we should go to war with them. And then they got so many letters from the people and the voice of the people rose up and then they said, well, I guess we better just go ahead and go on to war. That's what people want. Well, it's always interesting. You know, I don't believe that, um, anything in Syria was bombed. I don't believe, uh, Yes. Oh, are we still rolling? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, of course, the famous Henry Kissinger quote of you know, it's you know about per- about the perception of conflict and whatnot. Um, but here's the thing: uh, the, the the you know the president can make the decision to go allegedly bomb someplace. But yet when it comes to the taxes and the health care that he promised, all the changes on, he's having trouble getting that through Congress. Right, yeah, so, and I was talking about that before how uh, he, he 
Well, this is the uh, take on the whole. Uh, just an example, the Hillary Clinton thing. Like he um, said that she belongs in prison for her crimes, and now the position is that well, see, the president doesn't you know engage in prosecutions. That's up to the prosecutor. That's up to the law, the agencies that handle that thing. So like that's why Hillary Clinton's not in jail. He has no control over that. But at the same time, he can go over on the opposite side of the globe and police uh, Syria. That's fine. Right. Allegedly. Allegedly, right. And then where is the evidence that anything happened over there? I saw a photo of something that looked like some canisters laying around on the ground, and they said this was the gas, and it was... uh, then I then I I said oh I did a reverse image search on that image and then it took led to another site that was like a, I think from an like an Arabic source Middle Eastern source news agency and they were pointing out that 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 is a picture of an old Soviet ground or something that was uh, and those canisters had nothing to do with uh, gas they were canisters that uh, or something that held uh, munitions for uh, cluster bombs or something like that. That had nothing to do with gas, so but that's the image you're shown to say, oh, here's you know to fill in the blanks and to put the picture, you know, to put the to paint the picture in your mind of what happened and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that, that was stock, you know, and then allegedly we're bombing an alleged uh, uh, airstrip, um, but the photos that or the the live footage that you saw on the news was not actually from that. Either. No, it wasn't, huh? No, okay. It was stock. It was stock footage. Right. Of the miss, missiles being fired off the ship. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now here's what it looks like. Yeah. So, and then allegedly the mother of all bombs was dropped. Um, I saw. I, you know, I ran into something interesting. Um, the other day, I was at the park. Uh, with uh, with my children, and um lady was pushing her daughter on the swing next to me, and so she's just kind of making small talk, and then the, the subject of her job came up. And get this, she worked for the coroner of Los Angeles. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so she was a coroner, and I told the story of I ran into coroners before, and I actually ran into the guy who claimed I, I believed him. Um, I'm not I, I don't believe I, I don't see any indication as to why Natalie Wood would fake her death. I, I told the story before that I, I ran into this guy, this coroner who had no reason to lie to me whatsoever. He didn't know me from Adam and he told me the story he told me that he did the autopsy on Natalie Wood. Oh okay. Um, like I said, I don't I don't I don't know if that was true or not, but um it was just an interesting situation where I was like, oh, he probably thinks I'm young and I don't even know. Because he's like, do you know who? He's all, oh, I, I did an autopsy on a star once, so you might not know who it is. And I was like, oh, try me. I, I'm pretty well versed in Hollywood history. And he's like, uh, Natalie Wood, you know who that is? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I, I, did, I, did, I worked on the autopsy of her. And I, I, just thinking back on that later, I'm like, he could have said anybody right? Uh-huh. He could have lied, but he's like saying something about somebody who obviously he didn't even think I 
knew who they were. So in any case, uh, that's an aside. So this lady was a coroner. She didn't have any interesting Hollywood stories uh, or anything as far as um, real deaths were concerned, but she did have an interesting story about faking things to look real. Oh, is that right? Yes. Now, do you know what her side job is besides being a coroner for L.A. County? Um, she works at a wax museum. (laughs) (laughs) Close. She works on for the movie industry. No way. Okay. (laughs) And her job is like, like let's say there she'll be on. She said they'll be on set, and they'll be shooting a scene. And her job is basically to make sure that it looks real as to how the person died. Ah, like they want it to, they want it to look realistic. Now here's my question. This is what I thought of as she told me this. The average person watching these television shows does normally do not come in contact with bullet wounds, with with flesh wounds of any kind. Um, especially with gruesome deaths, like they come. At, she says she's worked on horror movies, and that they needed her to make the death look real uh-huh. in, the, in a horror film. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, that's really interesting." And I was thinking to myself, "Well, why is that important?" What you know, when the average person out there does not come in contact with stuff that happens in horror movies or just in gruesome deaths in general. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't know the difference if it looked real or not. But yet it seems to be very important these days on movies to make these deaths look real. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's this this consulting that that goes on with the movie industry. So there's this uh, crossover between actual corners and then the movie industry. And it's, it's, it's for the purpose of... We want to achieve the highest degree of real, uh, realism we can in movies. And what is the point in that as far as the consumer of film is concerned? Is it going to, to create, is it going to um, make the movie more real? That would be the kind of uh, official ex- explanation, I guess, to, to make it more visceral, to make it more uh, compelling, you know, to make it people, you know, react react to it in the way it's intended, or um, is, is something? Well, you know, based on stuff we talked about, there's probably more to it than that. Yes, and and here, here's another thing. I, I I asked her, I'm okay. Give me an example of what you're talking about. So she gave me an example. She said that like they'll do um, they'll do something in a movie where it's like a, like a gunshot wound to the head, uh huh, and that it has to splatter a certain way. Like you know these people who work in corners or, or like forensic people, which she was a forensic expert as well. Mm-hmm. She said she said that when they do these um, when they do these special effects like a gun blast, which uh, and, and, and you know now you, you you know you've seen a modern movie, um, like they'll basically just show people getting their brains blown out with all these special effects now. Like they don't have to like 
pan the camera away as the gunshot, they can just show actual matter being splattered all over something. Right. And so she consults on that, and she'll tell them, okay, this splatter looks correct, or she'll say, oh, this doesn't look correct. You'd have, you have to redo the shot. Okay. And, and so, so I just asked her, I'm a wow, it seems to be like an important, I even said to her, I'm a wow, it seems to be like a very important thing for movies to make it appear real. And she said, well, yeah, of course, you know, because uh, you, you want it to, um, if you're shooting something and it's, you know, like a police drama or something, you want that to, you know, to be like how it would be in real life. And I'm like, wow, even she has a, um, she has like a little bubble that she lives in that she wouldn't be able to see contradiction. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> why, why would that be necessary, though, from a vantage point of the viewer? I mean, I think, you know, with, enough, with, with the makeup people and stuff, they can make it look real enough to convey the idea and then you you factor in that the average person like you were talking about has no direct familiarity generally with that sort of thing yeah yeah now, i was if uh, you were, now, but but if you were to want to if you want to see like a real a real like what movies used to do and this is the way i think movies should do it is you shouldn't care at all whether the death looks real at all. Just go watch the Frisbee scene from Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see what it's like when you don't care whether something looks real or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, but it's, it, it, it still conveyed, it still drove the point home, like the... You, you get the you get the message like okay the the guy is dead obviously he, from a he, he's dead from a razor blade hole, uh, frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> Did it little little in, little inside joke there? It's yeah. um, it's the, there was a terrible terrible film made in 1987 so bad that it's good. I, I absolutely recommend it. It's, it's probably one of the worst films ever made. It's so great. It's called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And um, Yeah, I had to look up some additional scenes after you sent me that one snippet and that's a I, I you know what I'm talking about the skateboarding assassin scene. The skateboard skateboard assassin? Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good one. Y'all have to I'll have to watch that whole thing, but yeah. Um so what is the what is the bottom line then on this whole thing like the you've got now this is probably i guess you can't really say that it's something that's always been around in film i mean this this high uh hyper hyper realistic portrayals uh you know i I just recall stuff from the 90s that were major releases uh hollywood releases and and the depictions of of graphic and gore and stuff like that i don't I don't believe we're portrayed realistically. Uh, I've had a conversation with my uncle. He was a detective out there in Los Angeles for like 30 years. And uh, we got got to talking about this this type of thing. 
and he was saying, oh, have you seen that movie Seven? Which I had seen it, and I said, yeah, I saw that. And he's saying, yeah, they show you the scenes of the dead bodies and stuff in there. He said, he said that's right is exactly how it looks i mean that's he 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 saw that and he was he was just saying that that's if you know he he he's seen i don't know how much how many crime scenes and stuff during his career you know but he said that that is um yeah he said that it looked like it's it's spot on uh as far as the death scenes and yeah. all that, or that it's they don't sure. show i don't think in that film there's like there's like scenes of violence occurring, but it's like it's like the aftermath. Of the crime scene is in there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, after aftermath type stuff. I, I remember that movie. I, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, but yes, I remember that being a very disturbing um, film. Yeah, it's not uh, a good movie. I mean, it's a it's as far as it's you know the way that's put together and then the acting and everything is well done but the just the story and the stuff is really it's really uh depressing and i i didn't like it at all but no me neither anyway, so i don't recommend it but anyway yeah yeah the so so yeah i thought i thought that was just an interesting little tidbit of information that i'd throw there out there from um my personal interactions um, uh, let's see. But then you have like, like the Boston bombing, which is, I was, when I first saw the, uh, imagery coming out of that, I was like, wow, that is just as fake looking as it can be. And, uh, I, you know, the, the blood on the ground, it was like, that looks like some sort of paint. That doesn't look like blood. I mean, I've seen blood before. I've seen Extensive they're on a budget, Chris. Excuse me. They were on a budget. I may. I don't. They're, yeah. Well, like, what is the deal with I, that? I, I think. I, I think hard ticket to Hawaii had a bigger budget than the Boston bombing. Like <laughs> 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 maybe they hired. Uh, maybe that's the only person they could find was a guy that did the effects work on that film. Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, that's what the impression you get on some of this stuff is like. They just took whatever they could get as far as, and then just run, run with it. And, well, well yeah. in, in these events, you you have to have the the degree of knowledge that the public. I mean, if the, the way I like to look at things, I've said this multiple times. Um, you've reiterated it multiple times. Is if Chris and I can think about it, then somebody else has already thought about it, and they probably thought about it 50 years ago. So so if somebody out there is cognitively aware of the fact that the public will buy anything as long as it's portrayed on the news as real, then they have no problem putting out a ridiculous uh, sham of a spectacle for the public to eat up. Plus, as you've pointed out many times, especially with, you know, 9-11 and stuff like that, um, that, that the sham in it of itself being pulled on the public is part of, is part of getting, you know, of lowering your defenses, getting you to believe, you know, realistic, getting rid of logic, getting rid of reason. Yeah, I think so. I and think so, that's an important component. 
Right. So, and then, yeah. So the, there, there is a component to it that might, you know, that might even lend, lend credence to the idea that these things are purposely ridiculous. Um, I mean, can you imagine if, I guarantee you, if you took the, the Frisbee scene from Hard Ticket to Hawaii and you had some experts show it on the news and tell everybody that was a real death that occurred in Hawaii yesterday... All they would need to do is take that scene and then um, crop out the sides so that it was taken with a cell phone camera held at the held the wrong way to shoot it, you know, and then upload, yeah, roll and run that. That's, that's all you would need to do, and then and then the headlines would read, you know, uh, man on vacation in Hawaii uh, killed with razor killed with razor laced frisbee. And then, then CNN will come on and say, uh, the, the footage is available on the Internet, but it's too graphic to be shown here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's all you need to do. Um, yeah. There's, a, there's another thing uh, here. I, I guess Chris and I were talking earlier about um, how in my, um, in my time off here, I've, I've able to been able to dip into some of my library and look at some books that I've wanted to uh, read for a while. And uh, I've been finding a lot of uh, real interesting stuff. And uh, actually, Chris read two of the quotes on on two of the Monday Night Calls, um, one being that quote from Toffler. Um, There's a book here. It's called Culture Against Man. It's by Jules Henry. And Jules Henry is an interesting guy. Um, he seems to be connected to all of the, um, you know, Margaret Mead and those type of people. He, there is an interesting part of his book here, Culture Against Man, uh, which is a very boring book, except for the first part of it. The rest of it is just tediously boring. I don't recommend that part. But um, this, is, this is a very interesting quote here. Um, all cultures offer, this is from page 30, all cultures offer through prescribed channels some outlet for the emotional problems they create. They stipulate, in addition, what emotions may be expressed by whom in what quantity and the circumstances of their expression. For example, in American culture, erotic interest must be expressed differently by men and women, and hostility is more acceptable in a male than in a female. Uh, you got to remember this is uh, written in 1960 or something like that, so obviously that's changed. Right. Um, furthermore, except in war or under other very special circumstances, hostility must be contained in public and its expression veiled. In contrast, the profit, achievement, living standard, and expansion drives can be expressed almost without limit in public. There are no laws against maximizing profits or the standard of living in public, and newspapers devote many pages to their discussion. All of this is obviously accomplished through an act of apportionment of, distri of distributing the cultural baggage among the cultural carriers, according to the circumstances. In modern industrial societies, the routine workers, uh, the worker bees is what I should say, the worker bees learn to make the drives toward security and higher living standard most completely expressive of their selves and what they harbor of other drives is channeled into those two consuming work, working-class hungers. 
to an industrial worker, for example, to be a success is to have job security. In the jobs and occupations that are the lot of the routine worker, the elite drives really play a secondary role. This is primarily because since there is a very definite limit on how far the routine worker can rise in his work state, expansion, achievement, and the rest have little emotional meaning for him. The aspirations of the elite, as we still see, have no limit. For them, expansion is a passion yearning in the flesh. What the American industrial system does not offer the routine worker can be appreciated best by contrast with what it does offer one of its elite groups, scientists and engineers. By the same token, the personality deprivations of the average person can be appreciated by a view of the personality expectations of this elite. Page 31, the cultural maximizers. All great cultures and those moving in the direction of greatness have an elite, which might be called the cultural maximizers, whose function is to maintain or push further the culture's greatness and integration. In ancient Israel, where the pivot of greatness was religion, these were the prophets. In Rome, as among the Dakota Indians, also, also the cultural maximizers united within themselves qualities of violence and statesmanship, for they had to be warriors as well as wise men. The functions of a cultural maximizer, including organization, maintaining the level of integration of the culture as it is, and contributing certain qualitative features necessary to the continuance of the cultural life. His function is never to alter the culture radically. He may help to give more intense expression to features that already exist, but he never wants to bring about a fundamental change. Thus, those who have the capacity to maximize culture in this sense are among the elite in all highly developed civilizations. In our own culture, there is no group that deserves more recognition and hence a position among the elite than the scientists and engineers. They are the central power from which emanate the new technical ideas and industrial products so necessary to the continuation of our culture. Insofar as they are able to expand the array of lethal weapons so necessary to a warlike people, they are in the truest sense cultural maximizers. In America, the scientifically trained elite is one of the most mobile segments of the population because of their scarcity relatively to the demand for them and because, as with other American workers, their institutional loyalties are weak, large sums are, are weak. Large sums are spend by, spent by industry to attract them and they are offered many psych, psychic rewards. In the advertisements for scientists and engineers is the essence of the American dream, the dream that every American is supposed to realize in his lifetime, work but which is approximated only by the elite. A few examples will give the flavor. And it goes on to talk about how uh, they advertise to the engineers and, uh, for IBM, uh, as we've talked about, like these pristine um, suburbs and uh, the, the, uh, the lucrative, you know, the lucrative... Uh, benefits of being a science and engineer, scientific engineer for the government. And the reason I was bringing this up is this uh, perpetuates the idea that we've talked about is, okay, why would, you know, why would anybody not come for, really come forward about anything having to do 
with whatever it is we talk about being uh, potentially fake. Mm-hmm. And that is because these people are an elite class. They have the lucrative benefits. Uh, it, it, it just strengthens the idea. Like we said, it's because of money. It's because of a way of life, of living. No one's going to come come for. Let, let's say you've made it to the top of, of engineering of some sort, and you get to a certain point, and they say, well, actually, a lot of this stuff isn't real. It's just theories. Mm-hmm. And And they say, oh, okay. Are they going to run to the newspapers and say, I've made it to the top, the pinnacle of science and engineering. I've realized now that a lot of these theories aren't true and they can't be substantiated in a laboratory. No, because um, I think uh, Ken Miller, the guy that came up with the chromosome too, I, the monkey molecules inside the gene that's supposed to be the big proof for evolution, one of the recent ones, and... I think he's uh, quoted as saying something along that lines that he 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 kind of he had made a decision that, that his career is more important than what you know what the what the evidence was actually showing. Uh, but I don't, I don't I wouldn't be able to find that quote or whatever. But that I think that yeah that's the idea is that there is zero benefit for somebody in his position to come out against the uh, commonly accepted dogma. Because um, it, it's about peer review, right? So it's a consensus, and it, it's all, it, and that's what's always constantly hammered home is that it's the the peer review is about appeal to consensus and an appeal to authority. But you're always careful to put peer review out there to substantiate something, so you don't say you know the authority says and then get called out on associate or on a, a an appeal to authority fallacy, but that. That yeah, that's the way it works. Not only do you have to have a regarded expert with a you know with credentials and a degree, they also have to be in in um, agreement with the other experts that are degreed. Because you certainly you can find uh, biochemists and geneticists and experts and uh, you know uh, genetics and everything that will give you something counter to what he's saying about you know chromosome two, but since they they don't have the sanction and blessing of the consensus then they're they're dismissed just like Ken Miller would be dismissed if he went against anything that w- w- refu- that was against the commonly accepted accepted dogma so you know it's not good enough for him just to be an expert in a field or regarded as an expert in the field he also has you know has to have the um uh the the peer review um acceptance and that's also, you know, in a in a close close knit circle of uh, people, individuals that belong to the same club, you know. Absolutely. Yep. That's why that idea is constantly hammered into people's heads. You know, ninety seven, ninety eight percent of of scientists they don't even specify climate scientists or anything they just said 97 percent of all scientists believe in man-made global warming and it's just repeated and repeated over and over that's why it's but i think it's more to do with just the idea of climate change but it has more to do with this um, validating this concept that you know if if you have a consensus on an idea then therefore it absolutely must be true and indisputable I agree, and um, 
Yeah, it, it, you know, it's interesting too. Um, Chris posted on the blog there an article that I found. I was watching um, some Tucker Carlson clips. Tucker Carlson's always uh, funny stuff. Um, it's something I found out about Tucker Carlson a long time ago, ten, ten or so years ago. I, I actually remember Jones. Jones is like buddies with him now, but um, I actually remember Jones saying this on air, and then I went and looked it up, and it turns out it was true. You see, Tucker Carlson is—he's one of the heirs to the J. William Fulbright fortune. Ah, okay. Okay, his dad, or it was—was was it his dad? I think it was his dad or his grandpa, I can't remember. One of those guys was the president of Voice of America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Total propaganda. So, yeah. Okay, so this guy comes from an elite set. His uncle's J. William Fulbright. Okay, a Fulbright scholarship, that's that, that's Tucker Carlson's family. That's they, they are super elitists. Oh yeah. So like like we've said before, like why does Ander, why does Anderson Cooper, uh, you know, why is he on Anderson the news? Anderson Vanderbilt right? Cooper, yep. A- Anderson Vanderbilt Aster Cooper, why is he, you know, on the news when you know he comes from a, a family of, you know, billionaire trillionaires? Um. Of course, they always like to play down, like, oh, those families don't matter anymore. Those those families don't exist. No, no, no. No, that's not true. There there are Astors and Vanderbilts all over the place. I'm not saying every single one of them is rich. That's, that's, that's also not true, that every every time you get somebody who's a Vanderbilt or an Aster or a Rockefeller, that automatically means that they're rich. But at the same time, um, the, those families do exist, and they still definitely hold power. Uh, case in point, Anderson Cooper is on the news. Tucker Carlson's on the news. Why would they take those positions? Well, uh, I brought this up before. If you go back into um, England at the time of the turn of the century when they were bringing in the modern age and the modern mass culture and the mass media, which was invented in England, it all came out of Eton. And all of the guys, all of the children who were children of the Lord and, you know, um, uh, the elite kids all went to school to learn how to become uh, literary figures and intelligence officers and people who worked at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so it, it wasn't beneath them to go into these positions. And as we've discussed many times before, and I have something put together as well, uh, once again, about uh, about how there's a – we did our um, girl power of the power elite, and we talked about how, you know, Brooke Shields and Miley Cyrus and Katy Perry are all, you know, related to royalty and Federal Reserve chairmen and uh, financial – you know, Taylor Swift's dad works at Merrill Lynch and that type of stuff. So uh, I put together a male version of that that uh, we can do in, you know, a week or two. Um, But it's not beneath these people who are connected to being these particular positions. Tucker Carlson's one of those. Anyways, I was watching Tucker Carlson, and he he, uh, had this uh, bizarre woman on, this bizarre feminist 
she has this crazed look in her eye. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Uh, sad, really. And you saw the clip, Chris. Doesn't that lady look crazy? Which one? The the feminist who is saying that breast milk isn't natural. No, she's a total moon bat. She was. She, was, she didn't she look crazy. Was, she was certified completely out of her ever loving gourd. Yeah. Yeah, she was. She was out of her mind. And um, it's funny too because at the end of the segment, he starts like talking to her, and like she basically like like kind of shut down. Like you saw her brain just like switch off, and she's just like like not even saying stuff that made any sense. I mean, she's probably on meds or something. Um, but yeah, there's this article once again. Uh, you know, pediatrics is coming out saying breast milk and is you know is not technically natural because that would imply gender. The bigger thing was is watching these two people, Carlson, a father of four, and this woman who's obviously uh, probably doesn't interact with children on a regular basis, if ever. Um, openly agree that breast milk and powdered infant formula is equal in nature. And that yeah, was... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, they they kind of were both on the same page on that, huh? Yeah, and, and so that was the more disturbing aspect of the clip, was here they were both agreeing. They're saying, yes, yes, of course, uh, there's there's no... There's nothing out there that proves that formula isn't a, as effective as breast milk, but uh, breast milk is still natural. Like, that's what Carlson was saying. And I'm like going, uh, this guy here is agreeing that breast milk is not, is just, or, or that formula is just as effective as breast milk. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, pretty wild. And it's just basically, if it's, you know, like like we're convening here. If it says it in a scientific journal, it must be true. Yeah, it's it's the same as if uh, you can know it with the same confidence that you know that um, you know you, you, the the type of car that you drive. You know, for, for example, in the same way yeah, you know okay. that is the same way you know that well, baby well, formula other, is as good as breast milk. Yeah, the other thing is is that if you were if you were in a conversation with someone and you tried to say, well. Yeah, there's no way that formula is more effective than breast milk. Someone could, you know, easily can. Well, are you a nutritionist? Like, how do you know that? <laughs> well, that it goes back to evolution and uh, what I was ranting and raving around on Monday night's call about uh, the the 32 flavors of gender and uh, right. yeah, and Bill Nye and him declaring that the okay, this is evolution because evolution is and, and always you, in flux. So sure, and you be, were yeah. you were correct. You were absolutely one hundred percent correct. Because and and we've talked about this in past calls. Um, I know we say that quite often, but if you're a new listener to Hoaxbusters Call or the Afternoon Commute, you really should go check out the archive of calls that Chris and I have done. Um, but we talked about this in the past that that evolution is not scientific. It never was. It's, it's the belief system of an elite group of people, of a very small group of people, the Royal Society in England, the Darwins, the Huxleys, they were all inbred weirdos. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're dealing with here. Like, like we've talked about 
in, in punk rock, when, when we've done our punk rock uh, analysis with uh, Nino and Richard and uh, had those talks and all, uh, the people who were promoted within punk rock, you know, were these people who were schizo mental patients. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to science and the foundations of Masonic science, that's what it is. The science that you believe is, 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 is science today is nothing more than Freemasonry. Nothing more than that. The Royal Society of England is a free Masonic institution. Okay. That is a fact. You can go look it up. Mm-hmm. It is a free Masonic right. institution. You're dealing with free Masonic science all the guys who were pushed as being the big stars of the old, you know, the old times of science were all Freemasons. And it's basically, you believe in, in, uh, social engineering alchemy. And that's, you know, people always, you know, refer to like, like you were, you were uh, doing a great job pointing out is like, they're referring to the illogical nature of it. It's like, no, it's not illogical. If you look at it from the alchemical social engineering viewpoint, mm-hmm. this is not illogical to manipulate people and, and to actually, um, you know, to, to talk about things that have absolutely nothing to do with science whatsoever. It's, it's not even science to talk about gender. That's not science. No. Right. In, in the, in the rational logical sense of the word, but science is anything and everything now. And there was a point back at, at you know, in time where Julian Huxley basically said that this was going to be the case. He's like, yeah, it's, it, it's going to apply to everything and you're going to have scientific experts ruling every single aspect of you. And it's not so much going to be a rule of like, Oh, there's going to be, you know, these rigid, uh, you know, social worker type things checking up on you. No, it's that people look to experts for everything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to have them coming to your house like they shows in THX 1138, where it's like you go to your medicine cabinet and they talk to you through a speaker in your medicine cabinet. What's wrong? They don't, they don't have to do that. You go to, they, they've got everybody conditioned now to run to them at the clinics. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's because we live in the vicarious world, just like the clip that you talked about on Monday of movie stars and um, now we have the stars of science uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye uh, Lawrence Krauss, all these people um, that's who people are going to listen to, they're the new rock stars of, of you know pop science or whatever and so so like you were saying correctly, yeah what they say goes but see their foundation is not anything based off of of "Quote unquote real science." And not, that, yeah, know, observable uh, reality has nothing to do with observable reality. Like you know, we've observed it, that our whole life. There's always male and female, and that always shaped everything in the social sphere. You know, it, the it, interesting part about that, when it comes to not true masonic anymore. masonic hoodwinking of the public, uh, you know, when it comes to "quote unquote" science. It never was the case, anyways. So no, 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 no. 
even things that people have faith in and believe in as being quote unquote real science. Like you said, you were talking about uh, what, like Mike the Health Ranger. He believed in evolution, but right. he said, "Oh well, Bill Nye is not talking about real evolution." It's like, no, evolution's not real, dude. Like, right. foundationally speaking, you can't come at this. You know, uh, for you know, it's like uh, it's like if I saw. Uh, a dead dog on the ground and I said, Chris, that's, that's a chupacabra. And you're all, and you said to me, no, that's not a chupacabra. You know what a chupacabra looks like is, is this over here. It's like, mm -hmm. no, chupacabras aren't real. Yeah. And then the debate can be launched off from there. But well, hey, <laughs> what we're, we're, looks we're like. debating, we're debating over a dead dog being yeah. a chupacabra when there is no chupacabras. So, yeah. Um, well, well, I want yeah, to add this. I want to add this while while we're out on. Not to cut you off, but I want to add this in there. Is like I well, was listening to a podcast, and it had to do with paleo diet, and the whole idea. The guy was in his presentation. He was making a case for why paleo was good, and then he he, he just like most people that regard themselves as somebody with something to say, they're always going to pay deference to evolution. And so, if you're going to talk to him. Thing about science or your biology or how your body works, or whatever it's well, we gotta we gotta couch this within an evolution framework. And he says, well, you know, we go into our past and see that's where our ancestors ate. It's like, well, he's totally missing the point. Evolution, we're going forward. So all the crap food and the junk food and the stuff and then the GMOs and the stuff that are causing diabetes and causing this, that's the evolutionary process. The evolutionary process in the past resulted in. Um, you know, more death than the ones that, that survive, right? So that the death is a, con necess a necessary component because not everybody gets as sick as everybody else on the junk food diet. Some some people do a little bit better, but see, they're they're the ones that are going to evolve and go forward, and then we'll evolve and go forward, and then we can eat all the junk, or we can even eat freaking styrofoam peanuts if we evolve far enough. So nothing will be off the table. No pun intended. Yeah, the one the one thing the that never gets mentioned, the one thing that never gets mentioned that you and I bring up constantly is that the human body is amazing and quite adaptable. So if someone had to eat styrofoam peanuts, at a certain point, it would cause some sort of disruption, but the body would somehow adapt to it at some level. And so, yeah. like, that's kind of what, what has happened over various long periods of time of people, you know, myself included, uh, growing up eating GMO crap or, you know, um, high fructose corn syrup. I've even heard this proposed that, that like, people saying, like, oh, yeah, people talk about high fructose corn syrup, it's bad. Um, actually, through evolution, we'll be able to adapt to it and, and be able to eat, you know, it'll be able to be eaten soon. <laughs> You've actually heard people say that, yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. like, yeah, so, like, high fructose <laughs> corn chip is, is going to be good soon, you know. When so, uh, alleged, yeah. allegedly sugar has, you know, in, you know, been around for thousands and thousands of years, um, and people have never adapted to it, it's always been toxic. I'm not saying don't eat sugar. I, I eat sugar sometimes. I try to maintain it. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, if, so, high, if high fructose corn syrup is causing you problems, it's your fault for not being highly evolved, higher evolved. 
Well, actually, that's kind of what Charles Galton Darwin says in in um, the next million years. He basically says, like, hey, we are engineering this world in a, in a fashion to where there's going to be some people who are, as a result of the social engineering, are going to be social and physical engineering that are going to be stupider, are going to be more dumbed down, and basically it's going to be the majority of people. And... Yeah, I'm letting you know in this book, but if you're not smart enough to read this book, then you're too too bad for you. <laughs> it's, I know it's twisted and screwed up. I shouldn't. I mean, it's got a lot. I mean, it's the absurdity of all of it. But it's it's true. It's evolution is whatever the creators of it say it is. It's an artificial construct. It's a fairy tale fairy tale for adults, and. It, if that includes GMOs and uh, high fructose corn syrup and, uh, you know, overly processed foods and stuff like that, it's okay. We, we will adapt. We will evolve. We'll be able to consume those things. And then at some point in the future, I don't know when the – see, they don't ever set dates or anything on this. But, yeah, that, those will be the best and the most nutritious. And then, you know, maybe, yeah, we could also include uh, – you know what in the in our day would be regarded as packing material for sending package maybe we can eat that too like um yeah Why absolutely not? now i'm gonna have to go uh here in a minute my friend um one thing i just wanted to say is uh people sent some donations uh to me and I'm really greatly appreciative of that. So I thank all those people. I won't mention their names because uh, I don't know if they want to mention or not. So, um, but uh, thank you very much. I've had other people uh, do similar nice things and make uh, similar offers for stuff, and I'm really, really appreciative of that. Um, that people were nice enough to do that, and um, and. Uh, Chris and I don't ever, we, you know, this is the first time we've ever talked about it, but it's been talked about for quite a while, like, you know, uh, asking for donations and that type of stuff. If you want to send us donations, do it. Chris could use the money because he maintains the website. Every, everybody gets to partake of it. If, if there are people on there commenting, um, and uh, you like the stuff that we talk about, um, we do actually spend a lot of time doing stuff. My, you know, myself and Chris, like, you know, we look, you know, we're constantly looking for things. It is a hobby. There's, there's, uh, it is a hobby. We do enjoy doing it. Um, but um, like myself, I'm out of a job currently. I don't have anything going financially currently at the moment. And, uh, I have been using this time to like go through stuff that would be beneficial to the podcast. I, you know, I genuinely enjoy doing this and, um, and I know Chris genuinely enjoys doing it. Um, and, uh, if, if you would rather, uh, donate money to us, than you know, going and buying some seeds from Alex Jones, we are greatly appreciative of that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, and uh 
Yeah, and it helps stay in, to stay encouraged and to stay with it. And it's all like I always point, you know, I like to emphasize too. It's uh, it, you know, the listeners contribute a lot, and in the way of sending links, sending things of interest and stuff too. And yeah, it's not, but definitely like it's not any kind of prerequisite to listening to donate uh, financially, but um it's you know yeah it it helps out and it's not uh it's not but it's not about you know trying to do money bombs or fundraising drives or whatever it's just you know it's just a just a part of it because of the system we live in and it's kind of uh it's kind of unavoidable but uh it's you know it is what it is but yeah if you don't if yeah if you don't have the means to do it yeah don't worry about it that's another yeah, thing i want to point out too yeah Absolutely, but um, but yeah, def- definitely. Um, I've had people even tell us that uh, they were no agenda listeners and donating to no agenda. And after hearing Hoaxbusters, they converted over to the Hoaxbusters way of thinking, and now they've decided to kick their no agenda donation over to us, which is great. Thank you, we appreciate it. Um, and. Uh, so, like, like I was saying, if 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 you already donate to something and you you know decide that's not for you anymore, and you want to donate over here. Great, thank you. We appreciate it. It's in no way mandatory or anything like that. We're not going to um, uh, spend a lot of time uh, going over donating money or anything like that. But uh, I will bring I will bring it up from time to time. We we definitely could use the money. Uh, that's that's for sure. And then uh, just one more thing I wanted to mention, Chris was kind enough to say this. I don't usually bring up things about my personal life on here, but um, I have run into some hard times. And um, uh, one thing that I'll I'll be talking about in the future, I've never really talked about this uh, just because it was more part of my personal life than it was anything else. But um, but, uh, my wife and I... uh, we sell essential oils and we do, uh, uh, we do use essential oils. And if you are interested in anything having to do with essential oils, uh, you can email me and want to learn more about that. Um, it has helped me personally, uh, over the years, uh, with certain, with certain, uh, physical ailments. And, um, I believe, uh, that it can, you know, help other people. And that's kind of what I want to do. And I, I, w- I wish I could, I wish I could, uh, just not have a job and do that and help and, you know, help people the way a lot of, I wish, I wish Chris that we could help people all the time. Yeah. That know? would be a good thing because you're going to have to get some source of income somewhere. And I would rather you have it be to where you can support the, uh, efforts going forward here you know and then uh like you were talking about well you don't want to go to work for a company that's contracted with the military and contribute into the system directly or something like that or contracted out with some uh other big corporation or other stuff like that i mean you're you could be in back in the system contributing directly to it and i mean that's of course, we're kind of stuck in this uh, phone, the artificial system. But yeah, I think that yeah, whatever absolutely. we can do to kind of back out of it as much as possible is worthwhile. Well, definitely. The, the, good th- 
the good thing about it is, is on these calls, and I think a lot of people would agree, especially the people who call in and the people who send in articles and things like that, is in your daily life, you're mostly dealing with people who have no desire to better themselves or to learn more about anything. And then it, within the sphere of Hoaxbusters call or, you know, any other sphere of, 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 um, of uh, similar influence, um, you you have a community of people that you learn things from, that you get to talking to. I mean, I, I, Chris, Chris and I have never met in person, but I consider him a very good friend. We talk, we've yeah. talked every... We've talked every week for three years now. Mm-hmm. So um, you get to meet different people. Um, I've met other people, you know, Nino and Richard and those guys. They're, they're all very nice people. I've never met them in person, but that's kind of, that's unfortunately the uh, the uh, world that we live in is in, you're not going to find people who are hip to the kind of stuff you're hip to uh, living across the street or next door. And you have to go to where that kind of stuff is. And this is actually one of the areas. And a lot of times just on the message board alone, just, you know, just on the Hoaxbusters message board, uh, somebody will post something like incredible. And you're like, wow, I never even knew this. Like, this is crazy. And, and so it's just, you know, it's a good thing to have there. It's, uh, it's, and it's like, um, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm not, I'm not patting Chris on the back. Well, I will pat Chris on the back. We know a lot about stuff because we've spent a lot of time looking at these things, whether it be health-related or whether it be, uh, you know, the scope of, the, of analyzing fakery in the world and that type of stuff. We've just spent a lot of time on it. So people like to come. Uh, there, is a, there is an element of entertainment that goes into this um, because if you are – Someone is, you're looking for pure entertainment, not the entertainment in the sense of television or movies, but you want to hear something or um, hear something of a, of a podcast or you want to view something on the blog that, that um, excites you. It's exciting a part of your brain of something that you're interested in, but it's also something that's good. It's not something that's negative and bad and... Uh, you know, whether whether it's negative and bad doomsday stuff like alternative media or whether it's just negative and bad like regular media. This isn't even media at all. It's just us exchanging ideas. And so there's certain things out there uh, that we've talked about over the years. Uh, you know, I mean, whether it's health, we've interviewed Nancy DeVille twice. We've interviewed uh, uh, Magic Mushroom Chris. Uh, those type of things. There, there's lots of things out there. So, um, so j- just reiterating, if you have if you have any questions about essential oils or anything like that, I will bring it up in the future. I never brought it up before, um, uh, but uh, I need to get more educated. And my wife knows more about it than me, and she's definitely not going to come on the call. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so, uh, it's. Uh... Yeah, it's a component of it to to get some useful uh, information that's uh, that can be applied, and then uh, it, then then uh, you know, yeah, they drive benefit from it. And then, yeah, like we said, we're in the we're we're in the the phony system too. And I've had jobs in the past where it's just you know something that I would probably rather not do, but it's kind of a necessity. 
and uh, yeah, and and, it, yeah. and and this is a, a community of sorts. I, I I regard it as such, and like everybody that I've met in person has been like just fantastic people. You know, just absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's like a good 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 thing to be a part of, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah. I was just telling Chris right before the call started that, you know, I was looking at this job and I'm looking at the description and I was looking at the uh, location. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is cool. This is this is really good. And I get down to the end and it's for a pharmaceutical in a pharmaceutical company. I'm like, oh, man, I can't apply there. I can't go work for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. It's just. Uh. Yeah. So. Yeah, then you know, then it's going to be uh, something that you're going to be. It's going to be such a big part of your life, you know, pharmaceuticals. Once you, if you, if you were to accept it, a, a job like that, you know. So absolutely, would, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. do. I would not. I would not do that. So, but anyways, my friend, I must go. I have children waiting to be held here. All right, man. Good All right, call. dude. Good talking to you, and uh, we'll try to do it again uh, next week. All right. Sounds good. All right. right, Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. When the shit hits the fan, you want protection where it counts. That's why a team of ex-Delta Force commandos and BOM agents has developed a new product that will keep your payload contained, even in the most dire of tactical situations. Duty Commando. Adult. Tactical. Diapers. That's correct. They'll be there for you when the bottom falls out. Made with super-absorbent polymer hydrogel and a bullet-resistant Kevlar outer shell, they're the adult diapers that the Secret Service, law enforcement, the BLM, the DEA, the U.S. Armed Forces, and the TSA count on. And are now available to civilians in limited supplies. Duty Commando, adult, tactical, diapers. Folks, you probably noticed that I haven't been getting up to go to the bathroom as much. That I've been more focused, been more crazy, doing more special reports. And that's because of duty commandos. Now, duty commandos are a super absorbent polymer and non-GMO cotton blend adult diaper. They are the best on the market. And you can find these and other game-changing products at InfoWars. Store.com today. That's a direct order. Do it now.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.